right. Hey, I think that we've all reached the point of our summer, of this season, even, even though it's just July so far, where we are like, man, everything is coming to a head. Right, the kids are officially uh, overstaying their summer welcome at home. Uh, we just are like, hey, get outside, leave us alone. I know your parents are thinking that. Everyone else seems to be going on vacation, and we're like, we're stuck here. We're not, right? Fourth of July weekend, we're all here, right? And there uh, just seems to be all these things that are happening. Right, This weekend is the 4th of July, and there are approximately like 500 different parties to go to. There's events, uh, there's fireworks to watch, there's hot dogs to be eaten. And just so you know, today is July 2nd. And I watched Independence Day, the, the classic, right? The, the great movie of Will Smith and whoever else is in that movie. Okay. And uh, July 2nd when the aliens came. And I think that that's important to note, right? There's a lot that is going on and can happen. And summer is supposed to be a time of rest, calm, a time for peace. All right? Just let's be honest, though. It's anything but peaceful. We're just as busy, just as many tasks, just as many things to do. And I think uh, if I took a poll of all of us right now, summer has been anything but peace. We're we're feeling exhausted from the, the, the daily grind that we thought might take a break when, you know, June hit. But now it's July and it's still there. We're overwhelmed by expectations from work, family, and and social commitments, and we just want and long for that peace and that quiet. Well, not to sound like a a car salesman here, but I have something that's going to rock your world. I have something that, that is just going to be a wonderful idea for you if you implement it, and that's this. We could just go to prison. Yeah, now you, you heard me right, right? You heard me right. You can finally get some peace in your very own when you visit your very own personal jail cell. Now, in South Korea, there's this thing called a mock prison. Here's a picture of the facility. All right, take a look at this. It's called a mock prison. And you can go there, right? It's not too bad, right? It looks pretty good. Right at this prison, inmates can pay, it's only like a $90, and you can spend 24 to 48 hours in solitary confinement away from all phones, away from all email, clocks, and people. And I looked this up because this, this, this facility is just a wonderful thing. Clients get a blue prison uniform, they get a yoga mat that they sleep on, a tea set, a pen, and a notebook, right? They sleep right there on the yoga mat on the floor. There's a a small toilet in each of the rooms, but there's no mirror. The menu includes a steamed sweet potato and a banana shake for dinner and rice porridge for breakfast, all right? So nothing fancy, but okay, we can deal with that, 24 to 48 hours. And the picture shows inmates meditating and and resting and and depositing cell phones into a, a basket when they go in, right? This is something that I can get behind. And I'm not sure what that says about me, but when I look through all the pictures of this facility, I'm like, 
man, that looks amazing to me, right? That looks wonderful to me. I'm ready to go. Where do I sign up? Like, where, where can I put my name down? One of the, the core co-founders of this prison uh, said some customers are wary of spending the 24 to 48 hours in this cell, as they probably should be. Uh, but then they try it, and something happens. And she says this. This is what she says. She says, after a stay in the prison, people say, this is not a prison. The real prison is where we return to. Now, how many of us feel like that sometimes? All right. A little crazy, isn't it? We just need another vacation because uh, what we're living in, well, this, this rat race of anxiety and overwork and scrolling the phone for hours every day, we, we can't take much more of this. And that's just our, our personal lives. There are battles all around the world. There's riots on college campuses. We know all this stuff. Political unrest in every, every community. Man, Foundry Church. Right? No matter where we look, even inside of ourselves, there's this deep longing for authentic peace. Right? Peace is not simply something needed out there. Peace is something that we need in here. Right? Inside of us, it is needed everywhere. We need peace at our church. We need peace in our homes, don't we? We need uh, peace uh, with our families. And all the, the parents of teenagers are like, yes. We need peace in our workplace. We need peace uh, down here in our guts and out in our lives. We just need peace. Right? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be nice if if we live with an absence of conflict in our lives, a time with no squabbling or obstacles. You know, I, I, I heard a, a story recently about an apologist who asked his audience to close their eyes and imagine peace. He said, close your eyes and imagine peace. And after a few seconds, the audience was invited to share their mental picture of what they thought peace was. One person described a field filled with flowers and beautiful trees and butterflies. That was probably Christina or something. <laughs> Another person spoke of a snow-capped mountain and an incredible alpine landscape. Another person described the scene of a beautiful, still mountain lake. All things that I think I would probably describe if I thought about it. Maybe, maybe even after hearing about that prison, I would describe that, right? A, a blue uniform and a yoga mat with, with no other things. But the story goes on like this. After everyone described their mental picture of peace, there was one thing that was in common with all of them. There was no people in them, right? There, there was no kids in them. There was no people in them. So the apologist commented, isn't it interesting when asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is we eliminate everyone else. You see, even when we experience moments of peace and quiet, they're short-lived because we cannot get away from people. We cannot get away from the, the mess of humanity. One of the, one of the things that I like to joke around, I think Christina came up with it originally, so that tells you a little bit about her heart. I'm teasing. <laughs> but with the staff here at the, at the church, we say, uh, when we just can't find the right words, we say, man, people are people in. Right? 
People are people, and people be people, and as I think how she actually words it, we all have this deep longing to, to get away from the hustle and to get away from the chaos and find peace, but people are always peopling, right? And so that's what I want to unpack today, this morning. That's the onion uh, that I kind of want to peel and peel back the layers on, and it's this. How can we have full, authentic peace? Real peace. How can we have it? Right? What do we do when we aren't able to be on vacation every day of our lives? What, we, what do we do when we're drowning in work and life and in family? What will we do or what do we do when people will not stop peopling? Well, as always, the answer is in our Bibles, right? The, the God that we say we forge our life on or at least that we're trying to figure out, is that what we want to do with our lives, right? His word has the answer. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Judges, and we'll be in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through verse 24. Now, if you don't have a Bible, as always, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those Bibles with you. They are for you to take, to use, to have, all right? Use a physical Bible, use your Bible on your phone, look it up for yourself, don't take my word for it. Take God's word, right? So Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 24. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. And so I'm sure you figured out over the last couple of weeks, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites, had a knack for screwing things up. They just did. They had lost the sense of being a unique people. They had compromised God's standard. God had given them a standard, and they compromised it. They were uh, very forgetful. God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and they complained about water. God gave them water, and they, they complained about food. And so this was sort of the trend of God's people. He would deliver them. He would help them. And they would say, thank you. Then two minutes later, they would screw everything up again. They would cry out to God again. He would remind them that they're not supposed to be doing what they're doing, and he would rescue them. He would, he would give them the standard again, right, over and over again. And eventually, as this kept happening, the Israelites would get overtaken by surrounding nations because they weren't listening to God. Not, not really, not even listening to God. They were just like forging their life on everything but him. They were just not focused on what they should be focused on. And so as those distractions came in on them, they, they lost purpose. They lost meaning. They didn't know what to do, so they did the wrong thing. They did the, the, the easy thing. The, they took the path of least resistance, and, and that did not work out for them. And they would cry out to God, and, and God would then send a deliverer to them. And these deliverers started to become called judges. And that's what the book of Judges talks about, about these different individuals, these judges. And what we're going to read today, the Israelites were crying out to God because the Midianites had overtaken them. The, the Midianites were an ongoing problem for the Israelites. They were almost wiped out during the time of Moses. We can read about that in Numbers. But by this time in Judges chapter 6, where we're going to be today, they had grown to become a powerful nation, the Midianites. And since God's protection was no longer on Israel, not because God didn't care about them, but because they were like, 
We got this. We don't need your God. Right? The Midianites seized the opportunity for revenge. They came to Israel as soon as the harvest time began, and they remained there until the harvest had ended. Right? The, the Midianites took away all the harvest that the Israelites had worked for, robbing and mistreating them. Now, they were like the grasshoppers in that Pixar movie about ants. You know what I'm talking about? Is it called A Bug's Life? Is that what it is? That's this story. That's where they got that story. That's Pixar with the church. And they heard this, and that's where they got the story, right? right? So, so they would swoop in just like those grasshoppers, and they would steal the harvest from the Israelites. And after seven years of this oppression, the Israelites, they confessed their sin. Like, all right, we've been doing this wrong. We've been thinking about this wrong. And they sought God's intervention. They looked for God in his direction, in his way. So God answered them by calling a new judge, right? So take a look, all right? I'm just going to read the first two verses there, 11 and 12 of Judges chapter 6. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joshua the Isabite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Right? So, this is where we first meet the judge, Gideon. Right? And he's harvesting wheat in a very weird place. Let me just point this out. Usually, wheat would have been threshed in open spaces, usually up on a hilltop where the wind could kind of blow away the chaff, the, the not good part of the harvest. But Gideon was in a wine press, which is like a sucking, sunken place down in the ground where would they uh, pour grapes and make wine, a place that he would be hiding his harvest and himself from doing this work from the Midianites. Right? So Gideon is hiding in an unlikely place and without any real fanfare, and we are told that the angel of the Lord sat under it's an oak tree as Gideon was beating out the wheat that was in his wine press. And so with this picture in mind of Gideon hiding and doing things the hard way, right? Not the way that they're supposed to be done because of the, these oppressors, right? With this picture in mind, doesn't it seem strange that the angel called Gideon a warrior of valor? valiant warrior. I'm sure Gideon had to kind of start looking around and was like, hey, who, me? Right, as he's hiding there. Right, me? Right, who are you looking at? There ain't no valiant warrior around here. Put people in. Right, he was at that moment in a wine press hiding from the Midianites. There was no sword in sight, no armor. He was just a farmer, not a very successful farmer at that trying to keep his wheat from being stolen. So, so look at how Gideon responds. Look at verse, uh, verse 13 there. It says, And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. All right. He responds. Gideon says, hey, uh, sir, I, I, I think you need your eyes checked. 
I'm not a valiant warrior. I'm just trying to fight to survive here, right? Just to get by. God used to be with us. He used to be our God. He used to make a difference in our lives. But look around. God has forsaken us. We're all alone out here. We're all by ourselves. You ever felt like that? I have, man. I I looked up at God and I said, are you really there? Because if you are, why is all this happening? Why is my life like this? Have Have you ever had a shouting match with God? God, if you're up here, if you're, if you're there, if you're supposed to be sovereign, if you're supposed to be the God that I'm forging my life on, right? you don't seem to be doing much down here. Why is all this horrible stuff happening? If you love me, why do I feel like this? Why do I have these, these thoughts? Why do, I, why do I struggle with this? Why can't I... I have this blessing. If God, if you're with me, if, if, if he loves me, why can't I ever get any of that peace that you talk about, God? <laughs> That's where Gideon is. Right? He's saying, if, if you're here, then why is all this horrible stuff happening? He's saying, if you love me, then why do I feel like this? God, if, if you're with me, if if, if you love me, why can't I have peace? Why are the Midianites there? And notice how all these questions start. Gideon's in mind, right? When I'm yelling and having this, these thoughts with God, this conversation with God, they start with this word. They start with the word if, right? Even Gideon's question started with, with this. If the Lord is with us, then why? Church, that's what Satan does. Right? That's what that punk does. He gets us to focus on our situations and to doubt God. He's a punk. Right? When the, the world around us is in chaos, we start using words like if. If. And for the things that would have no question, that we, we shouldn't have any question about. Right? If God is with me, if God loves me, that's what we start to do. But church... All of Scripture, all of God's Word, every bit of it confirms to us that God is with us and that He loves us. There's no if about it, right? Many of us have known this truth from childhood. When we sing the song, if right, when we sing the song, "Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so." Right? God was with the Israelites in Gideon back then, and He's with us today, Foundry Church. I mean, just keep reading. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, And the Lord uh, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my, my clan is the weakest in Masha, and I am the least in my father's house. Verse 16 says, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, I think it's cool that the Lord did not directly answer Gideon's question or respond to the accusation that God had abandoned them. He doesn't even address it. Instead, he, he gave Gideon a commission to go in the strength that you have and deliver Israel from the ga- grasp of Midian, 
It's like we're called to go. He's given us a commission, right? God, through his messenger, said, I am sending you. But instead of responding with humble gratitude for the privilege that God had given him, Gideon attempted a very second strategic move, right? This time he questioned his own ability. Something, again, I do this all the time. It says, please, Lord, can, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my, my family, it, we're the weakest, and, and I'm the youngest in my family. Gideon focused on his perceived shortcomings, right? but God had created Gideon and had specifically chosen him for this task, Founder Church. Right? God, God's response to Gideon was firm but reassuring. Right? Circle it, underline it. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Gideon is questioning everything, and God says, I'll be with you. I know you have questions, but I'll be with you. I know you are hiding, but I'll be with you, he says. I know you feel inadequate, but I will be with you. I know you are overwhelmed with this task, but I'll be with you. I know you are scared, Gideon, but I'll be with you. The God of the universe is with you. Now, do, do we see what God did there? Under church, do we, do we see what he's doing? He changed Gideon's if questions. If, if this is the case, or if, if, into because statements. Now, I know this isn't grammatically correct, but stick with me, right? Gideon, he was full of doubts. Different ways, different doubts, right? And questions, and ifs. Right? Gideon was full of these things. If God did all these mighty things in the past, where is he now? If God is sending crummy old me, how is this going to work? If God is still on our side, this would have never happened. If, if. And God says, wait a minute. Hold up. There's a song there. I forget now. He says, wait a minute. You have those sentences wrong. You have them wrong. When, when God tells Gideon, I am with you, he changes everything and every one of those if questions to because statements, right? They go from if to be because, because, because God does mighty things. Because God is sending me. Because God is on my side. Because God is with me. You see what he does that? How he does that? When we say because God is with me, instead of if God is with me, everything changes. It, it reorients us. It puts our compass back to a true north heading. It, it turns us Godward, upward. It, when we ground ourselves on the truth that God is with us, we, we view our situations through a new lens. We have a new way of looking and operating. We see our chaos, we see the mess, we see the struggle, we even see the questions and the doubts and the concerns through the eyes of a father, the ultimate father, walking beside his child in darkness, guiding us. We see our, our chaos through the eyes of the king of kings making a way for the people he protects for his stewards of his kingdom. We see our, our chaos through the eyes of a savior who is in the midst of our, our mess. He makes a way for us to become clean and whole and to come home. That's why we celebrate communion each week. Because he gave his body 
and his blood for us. Our ifs become a statement of fact about being in the presence of God. And listen, here's, here's the, one of the most comforting parts of this entire story of Gideon. And we haven't even gotten to like the violent cool stuff yet. Right? Even in the midst of this overwhelming truth, look at what Gideon does next. Look at verses 17 through 24. All right? And he said to him, If now, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will, I will still, I stay still. I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into the house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from, from flour. The meat he put in a basket and broth he put in a pot. He brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And verse 20 says, and the angel said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Right, look, at, look at verse 21. It says, Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, get ready, underline this, circle this, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Right, Gideon, he, he asked for a sign. <laughs> he literally had a word from God that God was going to be with him, and he still said, oh, yeah? Uh, you're going to have to prove it. You're going to have to prove it. So this is so like us, isn't it? The, the truth is laying right there in front of us in black and white. And we say, hey, that sounds nice. Prove it. And I love this because it's so relatable. And look at how God responds. He doesn't say, really? Gideon? Stupid name, Gideon. Right? He says, really, Gideon? Right? He doesn't say that. Right, there's a little angel of the Lord right in front of you, and you want more proof? Right, no, I'm not doing it. That's not how God responds. God doesn't even say, you know what, Gideon? You really need to trust more and just go. No, God is patient with Gideon's questions, with his wrestling of this, this purpose, of this situation, of this task. And he gives Gideon the sign he asked for. Gideon brought an offering out, and the angel touched it with its staff. As a result, fire sprung forth from the rock, consuming this offering, and then the angel disappeared. And that is when Gideon realized he had been in the presence of the Lord. Right? That is when Gideon uh, took the if questions that were, were now because statements from his head down into his heart and out into his life. Right? He took information and he allowed it to transform himself. Right? He's like, okay, this is real. And his response was one of holy fear. And in grateful response, Gideon built an altar. He named it, the Lord is peace. 
shalom. The Lord is peace. Shalom. Now, the Hebrew word shalom is usually translated in English as peace, but it's so much more than just peace. All right? Definitely, it's so much more than just like the hippies of the 70s. Peace symbols. Shalom is one of the most significant terms in all of the Old Testament. The, the fundamental idea conveyed by the word shalom is not just peace, but it's, it's a total peace. I right, write this in there by the, the title there, where you circle the Lord is, is peace, that he's Jehovah Shalom. It's a fundamental idea that it's a total peace. It's being safe, completely safe, being whole, being, being sound, completely sound, right? It, it's fundamental meaning shalom is being fully reconciled with God. It is being at one in our relationship with the God that we forge our life on. It, it defines a harmony in that relationship. It is a sense of contentment with God. It's, it's freedom from guilt, complete freedom from guilt and shame. It is a total reconciliation. That was what Gideon was praising God for, a total reconciliation with the God who could save them for all of eternity. And here's the great thing. God did not just come in the book of Judges to save the Israelites from the Midianites. No, the, the prophet Isaiah wrote that a child would be born, he would be called what? The Prince of Peace. Who our God is. And that Prince of Peace would die to fully reconcile sinful individuals through the one and truly holy God, shalom, completeness, complete peace, complete reconciliation, shalom. Jesus is our Lord of peace. Jesus frees us from guilt. Jesus reconciles us with God the Father. Jesus brings contentment in a crazy world. Jesus sees us hiding in a wine press from our enemies and says, peace is here. I am not going anywhere. Peace is not the absence of that chaos. Peace is the presence of Christ. That's who Jesus is. Jesus says that this world does not get to dictate who you are. Jehovah Shalom calls you to be who he made you to be. Just like he did for Gideon. You see, look at it like this. God's peace allows us to arise above our circumstances, the things that hold us back, the things that hold us down, the things that distract us in this life, the weather that is all around us, and be who he made us to be. <laughs> That's what shalom does. If you don't get anything out of today, get that because Jesus is Jehovah, shalom. We are able to rise above our circumstances to be who God made us to be. Remember when God called Gideon a mighty man of valor? <laughs> you know why he did that? God didn't call Gideon a mighty man of valor because he saw that character trait in him uh, right then or in the future. He, that's who he is. That's who God created Gideon to be. Gideon was called a mighty man of valor because of who God is and how God created him. God had plans to make Gideon a mighty man of valor because God 
is Jehovah Shalom, he can complete that in Gideon. Right? It wasn't that Gideon was in this wine press as a mighty man of valor. It's just God knows I can complete that in you, man. Right? God, God had plans to make Gideon that mighty man. That, that valor, that example, right? When uh, the peace of God is with us, we can rise above the mess of this world and become who we are made to be. Mighty men and mighty women of valor fighting in the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he put it like this. Right? He says, when, when, Gideon is, when Gideon is fully at peace, what does he begin to do for God? Right? If God loves you, he will use you either for suffering or, or service. And if he has given you peace, you must now prepare for war. Will you think me odd if I say that our Lord came to give us peace, that he might send us into the battle? Think about that. It is only with the true total shalom complete peace of God that we're able to fight the battles that this world brings. That we're able to kick the teeth in whatever comes at us. Sacrificing our family on the altar of work. Sacrificing our marriage at the, at the, the convenience of a computer screen. Sacrificing our desires of the flesh. Sacrificing our desires of of whatever it may be, whatever we make God in our lives. Good things, maybe. But not complete things. Shalom makes us complete so that we can step into the battle and we can kick the teeth of things. Right, Gideon was a weak man hiding from his enemies until the peace of God came and made him into the mighty man of valor who saved the people of God. So what does that mean? For us, what, what does that mean for us? How will we display that truth this week? Again, right? Information without transformation is just is just stupid, right? As as Mackenzie and as Danny come back up and get set to lead us in another song, just let me give you a few things that you, we can do. Maybe one of these. Just pick one of these, right? Let me give you three ways. Pick one to remember that that this we got to complete this. Right? And the first is this. We've got to receive Jesus as your Prince of Peace. That's who he came into this world as. So if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, there's no better time to do that than right now or to start really thinking about what that means. To make Jesus the Lord of your life, to say, God, I hear your gospel, that this world is broken. I have added to the brokenness, because I have not lived a perfect life, no matter how good we think you are, we haven't lived a perfect life, right? Sin, you always hear me say it, is an archery term. It means you miss the bullseye. You're not living the way, right? You're living like Gideon in a wine press. You're not doing what you're created to do. And so it's, it's just receiving Jesus as Prince of Peace. He's saying, I, I hear that, I accept that, I confess to you, God, that I need you, that you're going to be the God of my life, you meet him in the waters of baptism, right? It's something that where he's instituted for us. It's like going into death and coming up to a new birth, into a new life, right? If you've never experienced God's peace, admit your sin, turn from it, 
and turn to Jesus by faith, and then you will live in peace with God. The peace of God is not just a feeling. It's not just an experience. The peace of God is the person, Jesus. So you got to accept that. you got to make him the, the forgiver, the, the, the savior of your life, and also the Lord of your life. Start contemplating that. Start thinking about that. Ask questions about that. I'm up here after the service. So that's maybe that's you. And then, and then maybe it's this. Maybe you need to hold to the true shalom in your relationship with God. Right? If you've received Jesus as your Savior, but you're experiencing, uh, you're not experiencing wholeness, then you may be stuck in this cycle of sin like the Israelites. So, so ask God to show you any areas of spiritual neglect and disobedience that you might have in your life. And again, that's why we, we gather each, here each week to focus on who God is. Take communion because we've all forged our life on something other than God. So just recognizing it and fighting it, going into the battle, right? Ask God to show you those areas so that you can fight back with his power. Confess the sins and turn from them and turn back to God and forge ahead and forging a lifelong reliance on God. Right? Maybe you need to start reminding yourself of those true statements of God and reframe your thinking. Start saying things like, like, because God is with me in my workplace, I will. Because God is with my family, we will. Because God is with me in this illness, I will. Because God is with me in this sadness, I will. Because God has called me to this place at this time with these people, I can and I will. And don't just say them in your head. Step up to the table with someone else and put it into play, right? Now, what would it look like if you held tight to the, the peace of God's presence and lived in that? So maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe it's living at peace with others and just recognizing that. Is there a broken relationship in your life that needs to be made whole? Maybe not perfect, but whole. You go to that person, and by the power of Jesus, our shalom, seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe this is the battle that God is calling you to right now, forgiveness. And I call it a battle because, because for some, forgiveness is hard, really, really hard. But church, know this, Satan despises forgiveness. Forgiveness offends everything he stands for, and fight against. Satan is known as an accuser. And that's what he does. Relentlessly roams around accusing us morning, afternoon, evening, and night, hiding our sins like stones against us. And because he's an accuser, forgiveness is his sworn enemy. Forgiveness of ourselves and forgiveness of each other, of this people in this world. Forgiveness contradicts his existence. Forgiveness defiles his life's works. To him, forgiveness is hostility. For people living in the complete shalom and the complete peace of Jesus, forgiveness is an act of sharing just a little bit of the peace of God because our own personal forgiveness was purchased by the Prince of Peace on the cross. To withhold forgiveness is to deny that work, to deny that reconciliation. 
To withhold forgiveness is to play into Satan's hand to reinforce his war or to join his cause even. But we call, we've been called to something much, much bigger than ourselves, a peace that passes all understanding. So let's stand together and worship shalom. Jehovah, peace, our God, who is peace. Let's worship him because there's nothing better in this world. Again, it's not the absence of that chaos, it's his presence.